Listening to State of the Arts, a show about the arts, theater, and creatives in and around the Philippines. Located in the upcoming Circuit Performing Arts Theater in Circuit Makati, Makati's culture and entertainment district where something amazing is always on. On each episode, we invite industry leaders, arts practitioners, and audience members to talk about current events that shape and further the arts in the country. My name is Christopher. Together, let's talk art. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of State of the Arts. I hope you are well and staying safe. With me today is an international musical maestro, known for his charisma and dynamic versatility, conducting opera, ballet, symphonic works, and chamber orchestras to sold-out concert halls across four continents. He is also a composer, arranger, and a musical scorer for several TV series, including the popular Netflix show Sensei. Currently, he is serving as the music director and conductor for Manila Symphony Orchestra, one of the oldest active orchestras in Asia. Please join me in welcoming the very talented, multilingual, and really nice good buddy of mine, Maestro Marlon Chen. Welcome to the show, Maestro. Uh, merci. Thank you. I, I didn't realize I, I was so uh, well-versed in all the uh, languages. Thank you very much for having me, Christopher. <laughs> You're very welcome. How have you been doing? Oh, um, not bad. Not bad. You know, hunker down here in Texas, as we say. <laughs> uh-huh. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I know it's late where you are currently, and I appreciate you taking time to talk with me today. I'm excited for our listeners to learn about you and your work. Why don't we start by briefly letting them know how you got in the profession you're currently in? Uh, well, um, it was kind of by accident, really. Um, I, I was a clarinet player, and I got my degree in that. And I always thought I would be playing, you know, maybe principal clarinet in an orchestra in America or somewhere. But then uh, I kind of got burned out, and I thought, well, you know what? I can do conducting. Little did I realize how difficult it was. And so I did some auditions, and, and I was fortunate to win these auditions to go into the school and and uh, the rest well is history so uh that, that's what kind of happened arrogance so beautiful with, arrogance <laughs> yes yes um i was gonna say was music really a passion of yours from an early age i would say so i would say i got bitten by the bug around the age of 13 uh, and it, I think it was right when the, the movie Amadeus was, was out. And I just realized, gosh, music is something I want to do for the rest of my life. And from that point on, I was very serious about it. Uh, I just, that's all I did was live, breathe music. I see. And you went to school for it, right? You said that. Yeah, I went, I was, uh, I was fortunate to get into the performing arts high school here in Houston. Uh, okay. And I was surrounded by course uh like-minded kids very talented and so that spurred on this kind of always inner drive to get better and i went to the university of michigan did my undergrad there i got my master's at rice and uh and then you know uh a, a very a kind of a 
weird winding path. I would after school I uh, was working for the uni- uh, the youth orchestras of San Antonio for about seven years, mm-hmm. and then I went to Paris. Was there for about seven years, and then Germany for two, and now I'm between Asia and all over the place. I see. Gotcha. You said you played the clarinet. Any other instrument you played? Uh, well, I, my mother started me on piano. Actually, um, you know, I can play basic accompaniment to, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah, sonatas and things like that. Uh, though I wouldn't call myself a pianist, but I can play it, and uh, and I'm a very bad violinist <laughs> as well. You had mentioned earlier that um, it was. Um, perhaps a late realization of yours that leading an orchestra is not really an easy job. <laughs> When did you really realize that this was something you wanted to do full on? Um, well, there, it's a, it's, you know, it's hard for me to answer that question without giving a Long-winded, comprehensive I, I answer. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> But um, you know, I I, I would say th- to make a long story short, I was I'm captivated by the by the incredible dynamic between when a great conductor can really do in front of an orchestra, and I've been fortunate to see several incredible conductors live in my life, and. Uh, I I I want to do I want to be able to do that you know it's like a you see great kung fu masters and you you want to be a, a, a master yourself so it's a it's a lifetime art of dedication and there's right. so many aspects to it that um, gosh you know you can always be improving it's people skills it's mm-hmm. psychological um, uh, abilities to escalate or de-escalate situations, um, right. um, inspire people. Of course, you have to have vision, musical conviction. So um, it's a whole series and batteries of, uh, I, I guess one could call it self-improvement that you have to make. And that also mm-hmm. allows you to reflect on your life and um, improve all the areas in your life you want to improve on at the same time right it's it's like being a head coach i guess right absolutely it's like a head coach mm-hmm. but you get the added benefit that you're actually also in the game right that's exciting i was going to say prior to you joining mso you were already affiliated with other other orchestras around the world And while you weren't completely new with MSO, because you've worked with them previously as, as a guest conductor, correct? Yes. Um, when did you decide that you would be permanently leading them? Well, uh, again, you know, Providence has its way of, uh, or destiny, if you want to call it, has its way of just kind of um, availing the, the opportunities to, to you, you know, to, to people. Uh, at the first concert we ever did, there was already a great chemistry. You know, it's like most things in life. Sometimes mm-hmm. it, it's just just that, you know, chemistry. 
And um, so we always had a great relationship. And um, for some reason, I think uh, the timing was that the previous music director decided to uh, retire. And okay. uh, there was an opening for, for a music director and the orchestra uh, saw that I was a, a good candidate for it. So, and uh, I was very humbled by the fact that we were able to uh, come together. And is the arrangement one that calls you to be Philippine-based? Uh, I would say it's yes. <laughs> yes okay. and no. Yes and no. Um, uh, I'm not technically uh, required, I guess, to be Philippine-based, mm -hmm. but the job requires uh, a, a residen residency, I would say, in the Philippines, at least uh, half of the year. So, gotcha. And I love the Philippines, so I, I want to I want to be placed and re, uh, reside in the Philippines. I know we've had this conversation. Yeah, there's some a lot of exciting things here, and obviously beautiful places to visit. So, um, gorgeous. How long have you? Yes, yes. How long have you been here prior to everything that's happening right now? Well, you know, just on my Facebook feed, it's been four years since I first oh, came wow. to the Philippines. So, um, so I've given many concerts over the last four years. And, uh, of course, last year was, uh, you know, I was there actually like seven months out of the year. Um, gotcha. Well, I was going to say in some of your interviews that I've read, you had mentioned that what makes the Filipino musicians different is really their heart and their resilient attitude. How are these attributes essential in creating a world-class orchestra? Well, um, I, I'm going to answer that kind of question in a, in a, in a different angle. Uh, sure. For example, we, we know that, um, well, it's up, everything artistic can be up for a subjective debate. But for the most sure. part, people would say uh, the Berlin Philharmonic or the uh, Vienna Philharmonic are um, the most, uh, the, one of the top, top orchestras of the world. Okay. And, uh, and, and I think it's true because there's a, there's an aspect of the culture that allows an orchestra to thrive in a very positive way. What I mean is, um, uh, if you, if you go to these countries, um, uh-oh, did we lose you? Are you still there? No, I'm here. Oh, my screen went out. I got scared there. Uh, so, um, if you go to these countries, um, the, the people are very earnest and they have a okay. sense, and this is just one aspect of the culture. I don't mean to generalize or stereotype uh, sure. or a particular, particular culture. Uh, they, they, they have a, uh, a real sense of what it means to contribute to a greater whole. And, and this multiplies in their attitude in the orchestra. So, you know, you won't have people revolting, per se. Uh, um, mm -hmm. and I, 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 why do I say that? Because if you go to a French orchestra, you know, there's a joke. <laughs> Never stop a French orchestra because if they ask one question, it's over. Then it goes, in, it goes into a discussion. You know, they, they, they intellectually probe the question and then you, you've lost the rehearsal. And, and so uh, when you ask this question, what makes a, 
a Philippine Filipino musician, um, uh, uh, their ability to have a great orchestra. Well, mm-hmm. their their sense of um, community and their 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 love and passion for 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 song. You know this mm-hmm. kind of this kind of uh, cultural identity is uh, so essential for a great orchestra plan. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It completely does. Yes. Uh, I, I think that is, um, in general, a good description of the Filipino artists. One of the more defining qualities of the Filipino artists uh, is really their passion, passion for their art. And it shows very much um, in the way they uh, hone and dedicate themselves to uh, this the, the art form that they're currently practicing or are in. So... So I completely agree with what you just said. Yes, it's a, it's a, and it's a cultural thing. You know, um, for example, when I conduct a, a Chinese orchestra, it's, um, they, they play it safe, you know? Mm-hmm. They play it safe. And um, so, uh, and actually it's, it's not wrong to play it safe because uh, they, they pride perhaps a clean execution over a mistake. But sometimes you, you have to risk before uh, true beauty can really be achieved. So that's why I love it here. And, and, and it was like that from the first time the orchestra and I met. We, we just understood each other, you know. Great. I see. So I was going to say between um, your previous experience just guest conducting with them to your time now as their um, permanent or regular leader, has there been a change in- Yes. Has there been a change in the dynamic between you and the musicians? No, no. It's actually just gotten better and better. It's just better and better. Uh, you know, I was, uh, and of course, again, I, I just want to say by Providence. And um, last year, before they officially named me as music director, music director, they had appointed me special principal uh, guest conductor. And I was able to take them on their first international tour to China. So uh, uh, we, we did a a tour um, just Northeast of Beijing in a town called Mm -hmm. Shenyang, uh, the old uh, Manchuria part of China. Uh, This is where Seiji Ozawa was born. Uh, uh, The famous Lang Lang pianist, he's from Shenyang. So we performed there. Um, They have a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful hall. And um, the orchestra and I, we just bonded, you know, there's nothing more uh, satisfying than when you go on a tour together. Great. Yes. Um, As a follow-up to that, I was going to say, why do you think Filipinos with their innate and natural musical abilities and gifts seem to not be able to penetrate the international scene as often as we think they deserve? You know, that's, that's a beautiful question. It, it's almost like, and maybe I'm, uh, I'm pronouncing my own ignorance. It's almost like the cuisine. You know, nobody knows mm-hmm. about Filipino cuisine. And you're like, well, why not? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, and, and that's why I'm trying very hard to, to um, brand 
the MSO into more of an international stage to show the world that, hey, wow, this is, there's an, an orchestra that's 100 years old here and it's mm-hmm. got tradition and it's founded by a European and it has uh, incredible talents here, you know? How mu- Maestro, how much of that is geography? Is it because the Philippines is just so far out east? It probably is partly because of geography. Um, I, I couldn't pinpoint uh, the reason why. Uh, but I suspect now, you know, the world's getting smaller and smaller. And sure. uh, I, I, I always believe that if you just do great work, uh, it doesn't necessarily need world recognition. But it, sure. it'll, it, uh, people will, will, will sooner or later notice, for sure. Mm-hmm. That's a great way of putting it. So from the time that you had spent guest conducting with MSO to your time as the current music director and conductor, what have been your thoughts and observations about the state of Philippine professional orchestras? Uh, can you repeat the question? We lost each other just for a second there. I was just going to say, between the time that you were spending with MSO just as a guest conductor to your time as the current music director and conductor, you've you've seen not just the MSO, but the professional orchestral music around. What are your thoughts and observations about the state of Philippine professional orchestras? Well, that's... uh... I have many Is thoughts. That a loaded question? Yeah, that's a very loaded question, <laughs> Christopher. And I hope you're not going to get me in trouble. But it's okay because you know I'm a risk taker, like I said. I'm pretty. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a straight shooter, as they say here in Texas. Uh, uh-huh. From the hips. Um, no, I I, I want to say that if there's one thing, <clears throat> I, I I think I should just speak for myself and the kind of challenges right. and um, things that we're working for. And okay. of course, I, I know that if I have to have these challenges, then I, I know probably uh, other organizations will, you know, will probably have these things too. So uh, that's how I'm going to answer this question. Um, I think uh, one of the things that I'm trying to do is make us work smarter and not harder. And okay. it, it just, it means that we we have to, I try to tell the team that we have to um, view things in a certain way. Sometimes we we can do many tasks uh, at the same time, and uh, we it, it's just about perspective. So uh, I I've implemented <clears throat> I've implemented different, uh, for example, online clouds for us to do mm-hmm. tasks and things like that. So we could always be in communication. But we don't always have to have meetings. So the, the cloud allows us a, a bulletin board bulletin board of tasks that needs to be accomplished. And, and so I would say uh, what you asked as a question, I would say uh, there are certain ways of working that uh, I know I can help uh, my orchestra think in a in a smarter way mm-hmm. smarter way it doesn't always have to be you know one step in front of you we can look 
five steps ahead of us. And I think that that's the kind of challenge that I'm trying to um, bring the musicians to seeing. Mm, okay. So in the Philippine context, uh, and for those maybe some of our listeners are not as familiar with it, what makes an orchestra professional? Is it the existence of regular pay? Is it uh, a complete season? Uh, yes, I think the technical definition of a uh, professional orchestra is the regular pay and the fact that they have a regular season, the regularity of it. So that they're not just uh, musicians that are put together and they do a concert here or there. It's a regular process, season, annual uh, set of concerts. Gotcha. And, and to your knowledge, uh, how many existing professional orchestras are there around? In the Philippines? Yes. In addition to MSO, we have well, obviously the Philippine Philharmonic, correct? Yes, yes. And then also um, the uh, ABS, CBN. Oh, gotcha. Right, that, right. But, so, that, but because now they have that difficulty, I don't know if this orchestra is still uh, being sponsored. I see. And are, are the musicians exclusive to each uh, organization or are, are there instances where musicians are free to play for any of these professional um, companies? Uh, well, I, I know that my predecessor did not want our musicians to go anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, but I, since my arrival, I have... Uh, dispense that old rule and I've opened it up. So I yeah. allow my players to play in other orchestras. Uh, and I think the, I can't say, I can't speak for the other orchestras, but I'm, some have uh, su uh, played substitute with us. So casuals. So yes, we, we, we share, but it's not often because we have a core group. So it might be just one or two players sometimes. And do you find that um, that setup plays to the advantage of musicians? Do you find that they get to be, um, for lack of a better term, more diverse because they're able to experience other conductors and uh, play with other musicians? Personally, I believe so. I think it's important. I mean, uh, not one conductor is the complete prophet <laughs> or pastor for any church. So <laughs> I think uh, the more they can experience and playing with other musicians, uh, they get to see, oh, well, we do it like this and they kind of do it like that and that's good, you know, and uh, hopefully the musicians take the very best of whatever situation they're in and they grow from it. Uh, I know I learn from going to another orchestra and conducting them and I see what they do well and what they don't do well. Um, and uh, yeah, for example, I go to a, 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 see a Japanese orchestra and boy, mm -hmm. their organization is impeccable. 
They have, you know, they have uh, things listed down to the very last percussion instrument on what movement they're supposed to play. So no, no person is waiting around in a rehearsal. I mean, that's pretty, uh, you know, incredible. <laughs> right. No, yes. Um, uh, I, I guess sort of as a, a follow-up or um, a related question to what we've just been talking about, is there an audience for orchestral work and concerts here in the Philippines? I think so. I, um, I think so. I think it's a matter of just somehow, from what I see, uh, reaching out to the public. I think they, there's a, a, a real thirst for it because they love this stuff. They love it. They absolutely do. And, um, you know, we just need to make it more accessible to the public. Mm -hmm. I see. Uh, I think that's my follow-up question. You know, orchestral music, like most of the other uh, fine arts, um, is really driven by perhaps the idea or perception that is only for the elite. So based on what you just said, how, how do you correct this notion or how how does the work of MSO with you currently in it is, is trying to correct this notion? Well, we, uh, we've had many meetings about it and um, one of our mission statements is, is more like um, the symphony reinvented. And um, this theme is goes to the very heart of what you're speaking, which is that we want the people not to feel like they're not part of the music. Uh, what do I mean by that? Um, you know, it, it's about the concerts of, is just as important as the people who are listening. And it's, uh, it's not something that you have to understand. You just have to be open and, 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 and come with an open heart and mind and years to embrace it. And so that's what we're trying to say, that it's a, it's a symphony for the people, for the people. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, how much of the success of what you were just saying is dependent on support, whether that's government support, private support, or perhaps presence of music education in schools? Well, uh, we are not a publicly funded orchestra like the PPO or the okay. ABS orchestra, uh, which, you know, it's a huge company. Now, we do have very generous supporters from companies like Standard Insurance. They're a big supporter, uh, wonderful donors uh, that help us and keep us alive. But we're always... Um, at the service and um, uh, at the service of uh, contributors and supporters, donors, I should say. That's what I was looking for, donors. And uh, we, we want to get the message out that this is the orchestra um, of the Philippines, that they, every contribution helps us uh, sustain the next 100 years. I see. Well, I was going to say um, one of the, we're going to pivot our conversation to the current health crisis happening in the world right now. 
When did you realize this was going to have a massive effect on your work and MSO? Well, I think it hit everybody like a shock. Uh, I, I I was completely surprised. I I didn't realize this was all going to happen like this. Um, I had a concert in March um, in back here in Texas, so I flew out of uh, Manila mid February, and I was supposed to be back mid March, but uh, it's now almost mid August, and uh, I um, no one no no one can fly into um, the Philippines right now without mm-hmm. certain uh, very strict uh, you know guidelines, right protocols and all of that. What is uh, MSO currently doing? Uh, well, we're very lucky. We're very lucky that we have some recording projects coming up. And uh, there, um, there is uh, some sort of regulation that f- under 50 people can be gathered for some certain events. And so right. we're making a recording uh, in the next two weeks, uh, this August. Uh, and so we have several things lined up. Um, so we're, we're just kind of taking it day by day, but we're, we're fortunate. We have work to do. Mm-hmm. Well, Maestro, how do we marry the concept of playing in an orchestra amidst COVID-19 uh, that we're currently in? It, it, is it possible to still continue being, I'm doing air quotes right now, an orchestra uh, with all of these restrictions and regulations that you have to follow? Like, is social distancing possible? Uh, within an orchestra? Well, I have mixed feelings about it. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, safety is our number one concern. Uh, but um, the whole idea of, let's just say, uh, the idea of an orchestra is that uh, musicians come and they play in a unified, unified voice. And it's very hard to play in a unified voice if they're, you know, just spread out too far away from each other. Um, Mm -hmm. um, If our aim is to help each other hold hands um, and we're very far apart, it's very difficult to do that. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, of course, the intention of still playing together can still be very... uh, be alive and uh, it's just a different set of challenges now we have to face uh, you know moving forward to to accommodate this uh, COVID situation but it's not it's not an easy one it's not an easy one you know sure yes um, are there instruments that makes players more vulnerable and everyone around them vulnerable than others yes i think the woodwind instruments and the brass instruments are are um probably um most vulnerable to a difficult situation because they have to use their breath to Mm. play the instrument and so um you know with string players they could kind of be in ppp wear and not feel like they're in danger <laughs> per se. Uh, so 
that's also a very difficult situation. Right. Well, we we sort of talked about the artistic implications of um, the current crisis we're having and the regulations that are being put on artists on that. What are your thoughts on the business implications of it? How are we able to, as artists, and specifically you guys as uh, classical musicians, how are you able to put out concerts given the fact that not only are you limited in what you do, but your audience will be limited as well? How do you think that affects the bottom line, as they say in business speak? Um, well, in certain capitalistic economies, um, you know, um, when something happens like that, the strong will survive and the weak will kind of die out. Um, you know, you look at retail businesses, things like that. Um, and you have, there has to be a shift. Um, for example, um, um, Amazon is making a killing because now everybody just buys everything. Not only were they buying already online, but now they really buy online only. And so online sales uh, are the new uh, generation of uh, retail stores. And I think in the same mindset, musicians have to think that way. Um, music lessons through Zoom. Uh, we make, uh, for example... Recordings are made with click tracks. Uh, mm -hmm. I've kind of invented a new way to do a click track, you know, uh, where I kind of sing and mouth out the kind of phrase that I want. And the musicians or a particular section of an orchestra will play to it. And then when we do the final editing, you know, it's like making a recording, but in a, in a new way. And those are those are ways of us to reshift our ability, or what we can't do at the present moment, but but to refocus and rethink how we can do certain things and make another beautiful product to share with the audience or potential um, people who would come and donate or buy things, uh, buy concerts, tickets in a different way. I see. Well, so it's sort of related to what you just said. The crisis opened the doors for the need to put as much content as possible online. As a classical musician and a head of an orchestra, is the access or the many diverse options of online content good or bad for the industry? Well, I don't know if it's good or bad. Uh, I would say my preference is that uh, the audience, the potential audience get to experience things live in a concert hall. Um, mm -hmm. But in the absence of that, we have to do the very second best thing. And so we have to create this sense of what it means to experience music virtually. And I think um, if that is the case, then there could be more artistic things that we can do to help people experience things virtually. 
you know, very, very interesting. And I mean, I'm sorry, sometimes I jump from here to there, but um, there was a great conductor. His name is Chile Bidake. And he, he was notorious because he would never do a recording. He would never allow anybody to record his concerts. Of course, what ended up happening, there were bootleg, you know, copies of his sure. concerts and things like that. But his belief was that you could never reproduce the, the sense of the horizon or the cathedral dome of a piece uh, right. as you would experience it in a concert. And to some extent, he's correct. But, but how about all the people who would never be able to go to a concert? Just imagine if they got to hear the music of his performances on a CD. It would open a different world to them. So um, I would say, sure, it's preferable. But in the in the absence of what we cannot do, we have to do the we have to do the very best what we we have. And, and and there could always be art in that. Sure. How do you think this will affect the way people attend concerts in the future? Because there have been several arguments that, you know, we're artists. Uh, artists, you, you can't really prevent them from creating. And the first instinct when all of these happened was just to put everything out there. And now it feels like there's some sort of saturation and this saturation then will lead to future audiences perhaps not wanting to attend live shows or live concerts because they can say, well, I've already seen it or I've already experienced it online. Um, how, how do you think, uh, well, one, how do you think this will affect um, the concert going experience? And two, do you believe that this would be as they say, the new normal? Well, I, I kind of think to my own way of thinking, which is if you, you know, there's a movie, great movie uh, with Kevin Costner, Field of Dreams. And, mm. and, it's, and there's a line that if you build it, they will come. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, think, I think there's so much truth in that. I think if you perform or give all of yourself. And this is where I, I say the Filipino musician have that already indoctrinated in their culture and their being. Um, pe people, people will not be tired of it. People want, they seek that. They, they, they feel that's a source of inspiration on its own. And we all need new inspiration every day. And um, so it's not a question of if there's too much content online. Um, if they come to a concert and you give them everything of yourself, they will walk away with an uh, indelible memory of that happening. And, and you have shared with them, you guys would be linked in that, in that lifetime. I can't tell you all the concerts that I've gone to that are just... So, uh, to, I mean, I start thinking about it, I, I go silent because I, they were so incredible. And so I think um, the only thing we can do is just do our very best and the people will come. If you just do it with all of your heart, they will come. <laughs> I believe that. Right, right. 
Man, we're really aging ourselves in here, right? Amadeus, Field of Dreams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you gotta love the 80s, huh? <laughs> right, right. Well, what do you say to fellow musicians, whether it's um, the musicians from MSO or fellow musicians all over the world who are feeling lost and don't seem to know what to do during this crisis? Well, I, 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 I feel it. I feel them. I, I'm in the kind of same boat. You know, there can be this sense of like your, your entire identity is, is taken away. But I, I, I would say this is, think of it as um, a way to help us rechannel uh, our own life's convictions and to, to think of it as, a, as maybe it's good that these things happen so that we can really be mindful of all the truly important things uh, that are in, in, in our lives, in our vocation to one, one another. Um, I've, I've um, used this time to really focus on uh, restructuring some of the things that we need to do in, in the MSO. And, and we're working hard every day. So I know at the same time, it's very hard and it can feel lonely. Uh, it's important to not give up. Don't be afraid and don't give up. That's a good point. Yes, that's good advice. Well, Maestro, this has been very wonderful. Before I let you go, I just have one last question. What are you looking forward to the most once a sense of normalcy is back? Oh, I can't wait to come back to conduct the MSO. I'm, 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 I miss them all very much. I miss the Philippines. <laughs> That's great. I'm sure they miss you too. So um, I think that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for joining me and letting us have a short glimpse of your everyday artistic life. It's been great and I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you. For our listeners who are interested in asking some follow-up questions, please leave them in the comment section. We'll try to send this to Maestro Chen and get back to you. Thank you, Maestro. Good luck with everything. I look forward to having you and your work on the stage of Circuit Performing Arts Theater real soon. Thanks again. Thank you. Salamat. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite channels. State of the Arts is a weekly podcast and it's available on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. We're also on Facebook and Twitter with the handle at State of the Arts PH. Share with your friends, family, and fellow arts aficionados and help us get the word out. For the latest news, including construction timeline and updates on Circuit Performing Arts Theater, follow our sponsor affiliate Facebook and Instagram pages, Circuit Makati and Make It Makati. Thank you for joining me today. Till next time.